Amen. In a similar way to what we see in Revelation chapter 7, as for eternity we'll be gathered around the throne singing, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty. Here in the midst of our broken world, when we know our gracious God, that He loves us and cares for us intimately and He is good to us, we sing, uh, God, you are so good, so good unto me. So today we start in our new sermon series in the book of Philippians. We're going to be walking through the book of Philippians. And as we do, we see the first portion of this sermon series, the first sermon today, talking about the bond of gospel sacrifice, the bond of gospel sacrifice. Now take a look on the screen here, and this is what's called a double uni knot. Yes, it says completed. I didn't complete it, but someone did. A double uni knot. So I like to fish. I've mentioned that before. And one of the things you'll often do is, for various reasons, maybe joining one type of a line to another, or in my case, which is not a great habit, but uh, I'll get a little lazy once uh, my, my uh, monofilament gets down to the end of the spool, and I don't want to completely restring it. I'm out there. I've, I've thrown my lures in places I shouldn't, and I break line and stuff like that. I don't want to completely restring it, so what do I do? I will use something like a double uni knot. I'll use this. I actually, on the tag ends, I'll tie another little knot which is kind of a variation, um, so that I can start another piece of line without completely taking off the rest of the line off of my spool and re-spooling it entirely. I can just add some more there on the fly and string it on. Now what that does, what that knot does, lest you get a fish on and you lose it because you break at that uh, point there where you tied that knot, this uni knot isn't the strongest to tie two lines together, but it's one of the strongest that you can use to tie two lines together. It makes an incredibly strong bond so that you can continue to fish. Now, this is exactly what Paul's talking about here as he's writing this letter to the church at Philippi. And he's writing this letter about 60 AD from, in, from prison in Rome. He's been in prison in the course of his missionary journeys as he's traveling with his missionary companions, his cohorts, and he's thrown into prison and he's writing this letter to the church at Philippi. So on his second missionary journey, as again, he would take the good news of the gospel into the known world at the time. And if you remember, as we talked about the last few weeks over our leadership series, he said Paul was one who used to be named Saul, and he was a persecutor of the church. He was a quick riser in the ranks of what was known as the Pharisees. He was one that was really a high riser, a high flyer, a younger guy at the time that was really climbing the ladder, if you will. And one of the ways he did this was he was persecuting the church. So not too long before this, we know that uh, Jesus Christ was, was crucified, dead, buried, and rose again and ascended into heaven. And then he left behind his believers, his disciples, to take the good news of the message into the world. And so that's what we see. We see that happening in the early part of the book of Acts and throughout the entirety of the book of Acts. And one of the chief persecutors of this new fledgling movement known as the Way, later to be known as Christianity, was Saul later to be named Paul. But as he was on the road to Damascus there, the Lord knocked him to his feet, blinded him temporarily, and called him, and he said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? His life was transformed, and he went from the greatest persecutor of the church to the greatest missionary of the church. In fact, he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. 
And so on the course of one of his missionary journeys, we see that he came to the city of Philippi. He and his missionary cohort, they, they, uh, they, they witnessed to people. They saw people come to faith in Christ. And through those new believers, they began a new church there in Philippi. And so he's writing this letter to them from prison in Rome to the church there at Philippi. And so we have the book or the letter of the Philippians written about 60 AD. And this was one of the churches in which he was really had a fond memory of and really had a warm place in his heart. Now, one of the things that we see in Paul's time and his sacrifice for these churches that he planted is even in the ones that gave him more trouble, like the church at Corinth, we see there his sacrifice and his love for these people and these believers in these churches, the kind of love that only comes from the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ changing our life. And so we see that over the course of Paul's life, that the Lord is changing him, changing him, and changing him. And we see almost a common theme throughout this whole book of the Philippians, this letter to the church at Philippi, what we see in earnest today, which is this idea of the bond of gospel sacrifice. When we are working, when we are laboring for the gospel, the good news that the Lord Jesus Christ came into this world to save mankind from their sin, and if we place our faith and trust and surrender our life to him, that we will be forgiven and cleansed and born again. Nothing that we can do to earn it for ourselves, nothing that we can do to earn salvation, but it is a free gift of God through the person of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel message. That's the message that we're to take into the world as believers in Jesus Christ, and when we are doing that in earnest as a local church, then that's the sort of bond that forms. There's a bond of gospel sacrifice that cannot separate us. And so we see it here, starting in verse 1 and going through verse 8 of chapter 1 of the book of Philippians. Paul and Timothy, remember we talked about Timothy last week as he was a young servant of God that Paul placed in charge of the newfound church at Ephesus. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who were at Philippi with the overseers and the deacons, those servant leaders in that church. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always and in every prayer of mine for you all. I I just want to say y'all. But for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And he says, and I'm sure of this, verse 6, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right, he says in verse 7, it is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you all are partakers with me of grace both in my imprisonment, or some of your translations might say in my chains, and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with all the affection of Christ Jesus. Talk about a bond that we see there, an incredible bond of gospel sacrifice. So let me ask you a real penetrating question here, and I want you to ask yourself, does this sort of gospel bond appeal to you? Does it actually appeal to you, or do you say, gosh, I don't know. I kind of like my anonymity. I kind of understand you sort of implicit in this sort of gospel bond is there's uh, sort of a coming out of the shadows. There's a transparency there. Um, There's a a vulnerability there. 
there's an affection there that just maybe at first blush just doesn't quite make me feel comfortable. Right? We know in churches as, as the years roll along here in 2020, there's this sort of anonymity that uh, really is growing in, in, in our churches and a desire to be anonymous. And some of it is cultural. We understand that. Some of it is, is sort of the regrettable things about how culture becomes a more distant in, from one another as we get, become more immersed in, in devices and, and become more immersed online, you see some of the natural byproducts of that is that we draw further and further away from each other. But God is telling us, and God, we see that throughout the entire witness of Scripture dating all the way back to Genesis, that we were created for strong bonds and we were created for, for human fellowship and relationship. And there is nothing stronger, there is no bond that is stronger than the bond of gospel sacrifice. And so we're going to answer the question here as we walk through this. What benefit is that to you? And we know we have to be very careful when we come to the word of God by asking ourselves that question too much of what benefit is it to me? That's a really dangerous place to come from. To to have a me-centered focus and a me-centered philosophy when we approach scripture. But if we can indulge ourselves for just a moment in this, if, if, if we see and we read what Paul is writing to the church at Philippi and we see this strong gospel bond and we see the inherent transparency and vulnerability of this and we say to ourselves, mm, I don't know, I think I want to just sort of stay anonymous and sit in the shadows. We're going to answer the question of what benefit is it to you? Why is this important? Why is this important for the believer in Jesus Christ? And why is there such a strong bond of gospel sacrifice that forms. But again, we see this. I thank God in all my remembrance of you, he says in verse 3, always in every prayer of mine, making joy and having joy in all of my prayers. And so when we see this, when we, when we read this section here in this opening to this letter of the church at Philippi, we see that more than casual Christianity, what we have is an opportunity, write this down, we have an opportunity for joyful partnership strengthened by life change, we'll see that in verse 6, strengthened by life change and deepened by our sacrifice. And deepened by our sacrifice. More than casual Christianity, we have the opportunity within this local body of Christ for joyful partnership, strengthened by our personal life change and deepened by our sacrifice. Lord God, as we come and we take a look at this today, may we see the the benefit, we see what's important, we see what we need and what's missing and the purpose of this sort of gospel bond in our lives. Not a bond over uh, a certain affinity or a certain walk of life, but a bond that is stronger than that, a bond that is rooted in your mission, seeing people rescued from death unto life. In the name of Jesus Christ, we do pray. Amen. So once again, more than casual Christianity, we have the opportunity for joyful partnership, strengthened by life change, and deepened by sacrifice. In the first couple of verses here, it's uh, very interesting to take a look at. As we look at the opening of this entire letter or this entire book, we see again, Paul and Timothy are writing this. As they were partners, they had that, that gospel bond that was strengthened by sacrificing their lives for the good news of Jesus Christ. And they were servants of Jesus. They were servants of him. They said that they had given their lives. They weren't going out for their own esteem and their own acclaim, but they were servants of Jesus Christ. And what do they say as he's writing here to the church at Philippi? To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. 
Now, this wasn't a special section of believers. He's not saying, hey, to all you regular believers and then also to all the saints. No, from the whole witness of Scripture, we know very clearly that if we are a believer in Jesus Christ, meaning we come to that place in life and that we have surrendered our life unto him and we've asked for his forgiveness and he has forgiven and cleansed us, we've been born again, we've been made new, we've been made whole, then guess what? God tells you, you are also a saint. You are a holy one. You are one that has been set apart. You've made, been made perfect and pure and clean and lovely and godly in the Lord Jesus Christ. Not because of anything you've done, but because of what he's done. And you've been set apart unto God. You are a saint of the Lord. So there's not some special category of Christians. But yes, you have access and opportunity and purpose in the Lord Jesus Christ. To all the saints who are in Christ Jesus, who are at Philippi, and the overseers, and the deacons, servant leaders within the church. We are to set that example as servant leaders, just as Paul and Timothy were servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says his common greeting here in verse 2, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only does it echo salvation grace in our life. That uh, unmerited favor that God gave unto us as we were saved, but also that grace and peace for the living of life, for the living of the good news of the gospel message, for living on mission for him in the midst of a broken world. Grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. But the very first thing then that we see in sort of the meat and the heart of our message here in verses 3 through 8 is this. Verses 3 through 5, joy in partnership joy and partnership once again he says i thank my god in all remembrance of you so as he is remembering and as he is in the spirit of praying without ceasing praying without ceasing meaning he's just throughout his days having conversation with god when there's something that crosses his mind good or bad something that needs attention something that's a difficulty something that's a joy he is praying into the lord he's having conversation with god I thank my God in all remembrance of you always and in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy. As he thinks about these Philippian believers, as he thinks about their common sacrifice and common work together, he is filled with joy. His life, he remembers what they've done, what they've sacrificed and some of the difficulty, but he is filled with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from that first day, until now. So we see they have joy in this partnership. Folks, there is no bond like the one between Christians who are partnered in the work of the gospel. There is absolutely no bond like the one that forms between Christians who are partnered in the work of the gospel. And we're going to see this partnership runs deeper than just sort of a casual partnership, but it runs to the point of sacrifice as well. There is no bond like the one that forms between Christians who are partnered in the work of the gospel. If any of you have had, maybe, maybe many of you have served in combat roles or you know ones who have served family and friends that have served in combat theaters and combat roles, you are there, there is no bond that forms like the bond that forms with two, between two people who are in the trenches together. Two people who are in, in the midst of a heated uh, battle that forms there when their lives are on the line. There's something unique about that that any of us who have never been in combat will never completely understand. We may get a little peek into it, a little portion of it as, we, uh, as someone might share their story and they share about that bond that forms, but there is something unique about that. Now, we, we know we're working for the gospel. When we are sacrificing the gospel, at least here in America, we're not always putting our life on the line. 
But we do know that there are believers and brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus, even at this very moment in different places in the world that are facing intense, intense persecution. Now, we might not be facing that intense persecution of actually putting our life on the line, but there's also a unique bond that forms when others' lives are on the line. You see, when we're doing gospel work, we are doing work when we have other lives at stake. Again, what we know is the gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. It's good news that starts with bad news. We were all created in the image of God and made good. That part is good, but God also tells us that we are distant from him. We were separated from him because of our sin. And there's nothing that we can do to bridge that gap on our own. Uh, Gene, this week, as he was speaking at Dean Al, gave a great illustration of, of, of the Grand Canyon. If we're standing at the edge of the Grand Canyon, it doesn't matter how good we are as, as a vertical leaper or as good as we are at, at broad jump. It doesn't matter how good we are and how skilled we are riding a motocross bike. We are not going to jump those widest parts of the Grand Canyon. We're not going to do it. There's no way we can. We are separated from God, and there's nothing that we can do to save ourselves. There's no amount of good works. There's no amount of sacrifice. There's nothing that we can do to bridge that gap. But God in his love bridge that gap for us he sent his one and only son jesus christ to die upon the cross and as he was hanging upon that cross taking the sum total of your life of the sins of your life and of my life and as he was there upon the cross he was our sacrifice for sin he paid the penalty that we could not pay on our own and so then if we place our faith in the lord jesus christ if we surrender our life unto him if we make him the lord of our life then he comes and he changes our life. He makes radical change in our life. And in fact, he calls it being born again. The change is so radical. And we are given a hope of a future in heaven with him. We, have, we know that we'll spend eternity with him and we are forgiven and cleansed. And that is the gospel message, the good news of Jesus Christ. And God in his infinite wisdom, sometimes we wonder why, but he uses us as the primary method for taking that good news of the gospel to the world. In your place of influence, your place of influence, my place of influence, no matter how big we think it is, he tells us that we take that good news of the gospel, and that is gospel ministry. And so there is a unique bond. If we are truly, as individuals, and then together as a corporate body known as a church, if we are taking that good news of the gospel, we're doing that gospel work, there is a unique bond that forms with us knowing that others' lives and their eternity is on the line. A unique bond that forms. We have that joy in partnership. Not only do we have that joy in partnership, but we see what seems to be an aside by Paul here, but really plays a great purpose in this gospel partnership. We are fine, and we find strength in refinement. Paul says here in verse 6, and I'm sure of this, he says, I'm sure of this, that he, that is God, who began a good work in you, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He who began a good work in you, some translations might say, will be faithful to complete it. We can count on him to complete it. What is this good work that he's bringing to pass? What is this good work that he's doing in our life? It's salvation. 
It is salvation as a whole. Some of our great writers and, and, and commentators on Scripture known as theologians might call it the steps of salvation or the progress of salvation. But what we call sort of by shorthand salvation or being saved, known as being regenerated and justified. We are forgiven and cleansed and given a new identity in Jesus Christ. That's not the end of the story. God doesn't say, hey, you've been given a new life in Jesus Christ. Awesome. Here's your stamp. You're on your own. Not at all. He continues that work of salvation throughout the course of our life. What we know as sanctification, which is a big word, which simply means he's making us more and more like Jesus Christ each and every day. Yes, there'll be some ups and downs. Yes, that old flesh, that old nature hangs around, so we'll still sin. There'll be times in which we sin. But over the course of your life, if you truly are a believer in Jesus, you've truly been regenerated, you've truly been justified, you've been truly made new and born again, that you will be conformed and become more and more like Jesus each and every day until the point at the return of Jesus Christ where we will be raised in glory. So here's the thing. He doesn't say, he who began a good work in you will now put it in your hands to complete it, right? He who began a good work in you now says, hey, it's your time, uh, it's your time to kind of pick up the slack and you do your part. Now we know we have part of our own growth and that's what's known as consecration or daily surrendering ourselves and, and sacrificing our lives unto the Lord daily. But it, we don't do that so we keep our salvation current. We don't do that in order that we kind of hold on to our salvation. We don't live daily saying, well, gosh, at the first time that I might sin, my salvation is gone. Some of you students who are here today might be wrestling with salvation, in fact, in your lives. The Lord might be speaking to you about giving your life to the Lord Jesus, and you are right there on the cusp of, of, of responding and surrendering your life to Jesus. But you say, gosh, the first time I sin, does that mean my salvation is gone? The first time, maybe I sin a couple times or three times. You say, well, where's that line? If I sin a few times, does that mean my salvation is gone? Absolutely not. The Lord shows us that there is security and confidence that comes in the fact that he who began a good work, the one who has saved you is the one who is making you more and more like Jesus Christ each and every day. That process is in his hands. How does it live out daily in our lives? What does this do for our confidence and this strength and this gospel bond and strength in our refinement? He is daily shaping us. The one who has regenerated us is daily and continuing, uh, continually shaping us so that this gospel bond grows stronger as we, too, grow stronger in Christ. Folks, listen to this. Our gospel bond is strengthened as we are daily refined by God. There's not a day go by, the day that goes by without him refining your life. Now, you may think when you look at your, right here in the midst of your day or the midst of your week, you look like, man, this is definitely a step back. And there will be times where it looks like two steps forward and one step back. Two steps forward and one step back. Because maybe today, again, you didn't swing your feet out of bed, put your feet on the ground, and you didn't say, God, this day is yours. I give my life to you today. I'm going to make your decisions today. I'm going to trust your word at what it says. Maybe you didn't do that today. Maybe you didn't, whether you say it out loud or whether you just kind of think it and live by it, maybe you didn't do that. You take control back that day. And so sure enough, it's a step back. But over the course of your life, the Lord is conforming you to the image of Jesus Christ. He who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. One of the other things that's important to understand about this is God, by refining you and by God strengthening you in that refinement, is there's going to be difficulty at times. 
One of my favorite verses in, in the entire book of Job is Job 23.10. If you remember the story of Job, Job is one who is a godly man, but the Lord allowed the enemy, Satan the enemy, to take away a lot of what he held dear, family, life, his riches, his wealth. And there are times where we read things in the book of Job that this side of heaven we're not going to completely understand. But in the midst of it all, Job was faithful to the Lord. Job was faithful to the Lord. And listen to this verse, Job 23.10. But he knows the way that I take. This is Job speaking. But he knows the way that I take. He being God. God said, Job says, even in the midst of my difficulty and trial, God knows me intimately and he cares about me. He knows the way that I take. And when he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. The context of this speaks almost of a work of metallurgy, right? And that metals are heated to a high rate and they are tried in the fire to the point where you take a chunk of some element and it is separated. You take a chunk of something from the earth and it's separated by the heat and, and, and parts of the impurities known as the dross or the slag float to the top and they are scooped off so that what is left is the pure gold. When he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Without that heat, without that trial, there will be no separation of the good from the bad. And so in our lives, he is strengthening us in refinement. He who began a good work is faithful to complete it in you. But guess what? Sometimes it's going to take some difficulty. Sometimes it's going to take some trial in your life. But what seems like an aside here in the midst of what Paul is saying is absolutely fitting and is perfect for what he's saying. We have a joy in partnership, a partnership of a strong bond, of, of, of being part of seeing people come to faith in Christ and their lives being saved. And so in the midst of it, one of the things that can derail us the most is to say, am I the weak link? Am I the, 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 the broken cog in this operation? And Paul is saying under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, no. He who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. You are important to this process. You are needed. So not only do we see joy and partnership and strength and refinement, but we also see affection of sacrifice, affection of sacrifice. He says, it is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you all are partakers of, with grace, with me with grace, both in my imprisonment and defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. He holds them in his heart. He holds them in a close place. Remember, he is writing to real people there in a city called Philippi, who he saw by his very hand come to faith in Jesus Christ. Those people plant a church. Those people reach out to their friends and their neighbors and whatever co-workers of the day look like. They were reaching out to them, and they were seeing people come to faith in Christ and this church strengthened. And he says, I hold you in a very strong place in my heart. There's a blending of those hearts, a blending that only comes from that bond of an affection of gospel sacrifice. It was that partakers of grace, he says, in fact. So not only are we, are we recipients of grace at the moment of our salvation, the unmerited favor of God, but again, we have grace for the gospel work daily. He is not only shaping us, he's, he who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it, but he is also giving us daily grace, provision of grace that we need to not go on our own, but to go out into this world with the grace of God. Partakers with me of grace. And what does he say? In his chains, 
imprisonment for the gospel. Some of them did face imprisonment just like Paul did. Paul, again, was writing there, sitting in the midst of a Roman jail, writing back to the church at Philippi. Some of them, maybe even in their setting, faced imprisonment and persecution. Either way, no matter what the level of persecution was, there was sacrifice for the gospel. His chains, sacrifice for the gospel. I've been reading a book. One of the church members gave me a book um, uh, by Francis Chan, one of our great uh, authors, contemporary authors, and it was called Letters to the Church. And he takes a look at modern church and looks at how it compares to the first century church and what lessons can we learn, what things have we left behind, what things have we substituted for the purity of gospel work, and what have we suffered because of it in our modern-day churches. And he says this one thing, Jesus and the apostles, listen to this, Jesus and the apostles were persecuted because what they said and taught was so countercultural. The culture of our world is just as ugly, if not more so, than it was in Jesus' time. The teaching of the church should be radically different from that of the world. There will be backlash, and a church attendance might decline, but the church will be purified. We need to return to a God-centered theology rather than a human-centered theology, and we need to be willing, as he reminds us of Jesus, we need to be willing to flip some tables and suffer for it along the way he continues on just a little bit later in the chapter and he says this part of the reason part of the reason he really drills down to the issue here part of the reason we've created a culture of non-committal christianity that avoids suffering is that we don't treasure jesus enough we want jesus but there are limits to what we will sacrifice for him we want him but there are lots of things that we want in life you know, it reminds me, especially as kind of thinking about this weekend with our students. I used to have this conversation with students as a whole. I used to have this conversation with individual students that I'd have an opportunity to counsel with. And a lot of times it would come up around uh, issues like partying or, or um, you know, trying to compromise themselves. so They might be uh, welcomed. They might be accepted by this particular group. And by the way, we use that as an illustration. But honestly, folks, that dynamic can, can, can carry out through our whole life, right? We can compromise just as much in our places of business and work or friendship groups just trying to kind of fit in. So the, the sort of fitting in, the, the dynamics of it might change, but that, that sort of fear of man dynamic, if we're not careful, is there as a temptation throughout our entire lives. But I would talk with specific students, and they would come to me and say, you know, I've really been feeling guilty because I've been partying and going to parties, drinking, using drugs, whatever it might be. And then they say, you know, I'm really, I really don't know why I'm doing it. I want to get out of it. Uh, you know, can you help me? And so one of the things that we would do is really, even though it was difficult, as vulnerable, as transparent, we would really try to drill down below the surface of what, what's your motivation? We just, so why, why are you doing it? Well, um, I want to be accepted. Uh, okay. Why, why, why is that? Why do you want? Well, I just want to be part of that popular crowd you know, or whatever it might be, is something different like that, but something very similar. I want to be part of a popular crowd. We drilled down layer after layer. Sometimes you'd have to kind of guide a little bit because they'd never had as much self-introspection, uh, you know, under the inspiration of Scripture and prayer, just kind of being introspective with themselves and say, well, why are you want so badly to fit in? Why do you want so badly to be popular? And we would get down layer after layer and would come down basically, and it was almost like a light bulb would go off, and they'd say something to the effect of, I just want to be happy. I just want to be happy. It might be in different words, different form, but that was basically the idea. And really the same exercise could, could be done with all us, us adults at the same age or at various ages. 
when we drill down, drill down, drill down, drill down, what is our motivation? Why do we do these things? It's because we think we're going to find happiness, satisfaction, fulfillment in these things other than Christ. And here's the thing. We haven't been designed that way. We've been created by God, and we've been created to find our happiness, our joy, our satisfaction only in Him. So all these other things of the world, all these other trappings of the world, regardless of what our age is, the circumstances might change from whether we're children, youth, adults, older adults, whatever it might be. If we're trying to find our happiness and satisfaction in things of this world, we will always, always run dry. So what he says is they were even in the midst of their chains and their sacrifice we see here, uh, and especially from the words of Francis Chan here, that we, we want Jesus Christ. We think we know, and we know that there's something there, but we say, what are we willing to sacrifice? I don't know, because there's lots of things that we want in life. He drills down, and I think we drill down as well, and to say, where are we finding our happiness, our purpose, and our joy? Are we finding it in the Lord, or are we finding it in things of this world? When we find it in the Lord when we realize that that's what we've been created for, then, then we're willing to sacrifice. So he says not only is change, is sacrifice, but also a defense of the gospel. This is like a legal term that means defending and, and, and not in a combative way, but in a loving way, being able to say, yes, I believe this is true. I believe what scripture says on this is absolutely true. And here's how I can speak with you about it, not only from Scripture, but also extra-biblical things that we can say, yes, I believe what God says about the creation of the universe, what God says about this, what God says about mankind, what God says about the nature of man. And here's why. It's a defending of the gospel. You know, a lot of deconversion stories have been getting a lot of headlines in, in, in the news lately. These are people that have grown up in church, and, and they've been called deconversion stories of a handful of people. Um, the, the, some of them well-known that have said, yeah, I've kind of left the faith. I've left the faith. And those are sensational, and those get the headlines, and obviously those are things that we need to pay attention to and figure out what, what was the story about and why did that happen. But oftentimes what doesn't get the headlines, what hardly gets the headlines, is the number, the scores. For every one, there's maybe 10 or more atheists and agnostics and skeptics that have come to faith in Jesus Christ and have rock-solid faith and are some of the most ardent defenders of faith in Jesus Christ. It can be defended. And again, not in a combative way, but in a way, a loving way, in which we say, yes, this is what we believe the, the good news to be saying. And that's what they were doing. They had sacrifice. They were defending the gospel. And also their bond was built strong, not only by sacrifice and defense of the gospel, but also by confirmation of the gospel. He was saying their lives, the way they lived, was a confirmation of the good news, the gospel. They were living their lives in such a way that people around them were saying, that is real, that is legitimate. Their lives have been changed. And so he says this, as they were partakers of grace and chains and defense and confirmation of the gospel, he says, because of all that, as God is my witness, when I think back on our work together, and as I'm writing to you and I'm thinking about you and our bond in the gospel, he says, for God is my witness, I long for you with the, with the affection of Jesus Christ. Folks, greater even than partnership, greater even than partnership is the bond that comes, is the bond that comes as a result of sacrifice and persecution for the gospel. 
Greater even than that partnership is the bond that results from sacrifice and persecution for the gospel. Now again, here in the United States of America, we're not going to face persecution like some of our brothers and sisters in Christ do in the Middle East or certain parts of Southeast Asia, certain parts of North Africa. Some of our brothers and sisters in Christ there are facing tremendous persecution at this very hour. But, but, but God tells us that all those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So here in the United States, where we are tremendous beneficiaries of great freedom, it may take the form of being ostracized socially. It may take the form of, of, of not being promoted to, to the level that you may think you deserve. Or it may uh, be that you're kind of facing some, some, uh, some questioning from others. Or you might take some take some heat from others. So yes, it's not that intense form of persecution that other believers in Christ face throughout this world, but if we are living out there on the front lines of the gospel, then there should be some type of sacrifice that we are making. Greater even than partnership is the bond that results from sacrifice and persecution for the gospel. But he says, it's my witness. I long for you with all the affection of Jesus Christ. With all the affection of Jesus Christ, that deep-seated inwardness. That word, another variation of the word there for affection, is, also, is actually used as entrails in different parts of, uh, of Greek writing, secular Greek writing. Because it basically means our insides. He was saying, my insides have been so changed. I've been so changed by Jesus Christ that it's not my feelings of affection, but it is, my, but it is the Lord's feelings of affection. Bond of the gospel. A deep emotional bond that comes from sharing the work of Christ. So here I want to kind of circle back again as we bring this message to a close. I want to circle back to where we started. Does this make you feel weird? This sort of strong gospel bond, this sort of affection as Paul's writing there, he says, I long for you, I yearn for you with all the affection of Jesus Christ. Just say, mm, I think I'd just rather kind of sit in the shadows. I think I'd rather just sort of, you know, I'm fine with us sort of, you know, kind of passing in the night as believers in Jesus Christ, kind of wave and, and go on. What does it benefit you? What does it benefit you? Why don't, first of all, why don't we have this same level of affection that we see here between Paul and the Philippian believers? Maybe it's because we just see church as a social club. It's one more thing that we belong to. And we kind of get some benefit from it like we would get benefit from other things. Maybe because there's this sort of sense of guilt that maybe we need to feel like we need to be here in church or otherwise this guilt kind of creeps in. Maybe we see it as a social club. Maybe what we see church as is really nothing more than kind of a weekly self-help talk show, which we kind of get some things that help us out. And maybe I'll apply those and I kind of file that along with other things I've read here and there. Maybe we're scared of transparency. And that's understandable. I'm right there with you, right? Maybe we know that inherent in this sort of gospel bond that we see, we're not dumb. We understand that for there to be that type of gospel bond and to see Paul write those types of words, remember Paul who was persecuting the church and throwing people in jail, ultimately leading to the deaths of some. Paul had been so radically changed that he's saying, I yearn for you as believers in Jesus Christ with all the gospel affection with all the affection of God. Maybe it's because we know, too, there's a transparency and a lack thereof there. But we need it. 
We benefit from it with growing, strong relationships. There is something that God has created us for, not only finding our purpose and joining Him, but finding our greatest joy and our greatest strength and our greatest purpose, not only and most importantly in Him, but that bond with other believers. He created us that way, and there will always be something missing. Maybe joy. You know, we're living for for, for something, for purpose, for happiness, anything that gives us meaning in life. And there is that joy and purpose, again, that comes from living out and, and, and living on mission with an eternal mission in mind. Those strong bonds are a byproduct of that. And this gives us that happiness that no career success, no amount of popularity, no amount of amassing of things can ever, ever provide. And so you say, Pastor, what do I do? If I want to experience that same type of gospel bond sacrifice, first of all, we have to sacrifice. We have to be willing to sacrifice something that we're holding back. What is it in your life that you say is not completely given over to God? Will you give it over to him and let him change it and make you new? We have to be willing to be transparent with one another. We have to be willing to sacrifice that anonymity and be more transparent with one another. And then leading to that, thirdly, we have to be accountable to one another. Accountability and transparency seems like daunting things when we think about them, daunting topics, daunting responsibilities, but there is no growth that happens like the growth that happens when we are transparent with another believer in Jesus Christ and we are holding one another accountable to growing in Christ Jesus. We need to experience that same level of gospel connection that same level of gospel affection as we see Paul to the Philippians, the Philippians to one another. And as we do, we will see that more than casual Christianity, we have the opportunity for joyful partnership, strengthened by life change, and deepened by sacrifice. Let's pray. Lord God, may we be transformed as a local church body in that way. May we be transformed as a body of Christ that... uh, Trans, that are transparent and sacrifice for one another. Those that say, I am here, I am the 2 a.m. friend for you. I am the one that is here when life seems to be spinning out of control. I am here and we will suffer together for the gospel. I am here, we make sacrifices so that we might share the good news with others. I'm here to strengthen you as you take the good news to your place of work and you might take the lumps for it but then you see someone come to faith in Christ. I'm here for you as we take the good news to our, uh, to our neighborhood and some of those conversations might be awkward at first, but then we see someone come to faith in Christ and we experience that joy. May we see those bonds, the same type of bonds that we see here between Paul and the church and the people there at Philippi. God, may we be known not for, for slick presentation, for pizzazz, for notoriety of any other type other than the fact that we are built on gospel truth. We glorify you and we have a strong bond of sacrifice in our midst. In the name of Jesus Christ, we do pray. Amen.